Ladies and gentlemen, this is This is The Real Mission Impossible Show With your host, Lucien Are you ready? We search the globe for the most amazing people who have overcome incredible obstacles Demonstrated amazing resilience, done the impossible I said, are you ready? Join, Join the real coach and Jay on the Real Mission Impossible show. Meeting legends from Dubai, South Africa, Nairobi, New York, London, wherever they are to make it possible for the Real I'm Impossible with Coach MJ. The Real Mission I'm Impossible show starts in... Let's count down together! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Boom! Hello everyone! Today I'm so excited to introduce our next guest, but before I do that... I'd like to just give you a little bit of a background about how I kind of got involved with this uh, in- incredible human being. I uh, contacted him through uh, through LinkedIn over a year ago when I came back to the U.S. after being gone for 37 years. I had no idea uh, who he was or what was going on, so I kind of checked him out and I saw some of the things that he had done in the past, and then I heard and saw and read about his incredible story. And I'm not going to take any wind out of his sails. I'm going to let him do that. Um, I'm just going to take a little further ado, introducing him. Uh, he's a former NFL star. He's uh, now currently a world-class speaker here in the U.S., a writer. Um, his book, uh, Success Cycle, is uh, going off the charts. Without any further ado, I'm going to bring in uh, Mr. Marcus Ogden. Hey, how you doing, sir? Well, very good, sir. I'm so glad you came on the show today. I uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, two questions uh, before we get going. How is your family? Are they keeping safe? Is everybody fine? The family's doing very well. Uh, everybody's keeping safe. And I think right now we're just really excited about trying to get back out into the normal sense of the world, like getting out more, having stores reopen uh, with more, you know, um, easiness, which would be phenomenal. But so far right now, MJ, we're doing really well. Thanks for asking, my friend. How about yours? Yes, sir. Well, um, we're kind of displaced. Uh, my kids are stuck in Lebanon. I, uh, my mother's in lockdown. She's in a senior home. I have brothers in different parts of the country. I'm in, I'm in Orlando, Florida. And Orlando started opening up, you know, a few weeks ago, um, as so many other places. Uh, but now, uh, now that it's opened up, there's more and more people have been to the beaches, congregating. Um, yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, a spike, as they say. So I'm personally, I, I'm not uh, so interested in going out there and and testing the waters without a mask. When I go into a shop, I think that's a good thing. It's my personal view. How about you? Oh, I, I'm the same. You know, I go out a lot. Uh, I wear a mask sometimes. You know, sometimes I don't. It depends on where I'm going. If I'm going to a mall with a ton of people, that's fine. More people than I will. If I'm just going to, like, the grocery store or to pick up something, then I don't do it because, you know, I don't feel, uh, you know, for me, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to do it like that. But again, if I'm going to a, a large place, a lot of people might congregate. Then I'll definitely put a mask on for sure. Okay. And what about what about your kids? How do you how do you? Uh... Oh, the kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you know, with my little one, you know, my five year old, she always wears a mask when she goes out. Uh, my oldest doesn't really go out a whole lot. I mean, she's more of an introvert. Uh, she works at Zaxby's, and of course, she has to wear gloves and mask and all that stuff. So, but she doesn't really go out a whole lot. But what she does, she puts her mask on. And again, my wife, uh, same thing. She'll put it on large areas, not large areas, maybe not so much as often. But again, with our little ones, we try to make sure they, they put it on, especially our five-year-old. And are you guys, are, did I understand you're based in North Carolina? Is that true? Or? We are. We're in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's correct. Okay. 
Uh, why North Carolina? What's the what's the connection there? Uh, that's what my wife when we met when we met on Match.com back in 2012. My wife ended up coming to live with me in Baltimore, and then when I lost my business and went bankrupt, she moved. To, uh, we moved back down to North Carolina because that when we met, that's where she was living, and that's where her family's mom, dad, brother, sisters. She has one brother that is in California with his wife and sons, but uh, her other brother, her sister, and her parents are in the North Carolina area. Marcus, you, you just gave me a sentence that would blow anybody's mind. I met her on Match.com right before I went bankrupt, and we right. lived together, and blah, blah, blah. Are you kidding me? Nope. It's 100% true. We met in July of 2012 on Match. We met in person in August of 2012. She moved in with me uh, December of 2012, and then, and then she ended up we I filed a bankruptcy, started the process February of 2013. Why didn't you just have her sign a prenuptial? Why did you want to file bankruptcy? I mean, oh like no, but I, oh, I lost my business. I mean, that's I mean, that's when you, I lost everything in the business, and she was, and we met that summer the before this happened. And I remember when I was when I filed my bankruptcy, and I gave her a story and said, hey. Do you want to stay with me and be with me? Uh, if you want to, I will be will love to have that. If you don't, I understand. Uh, you didn't sign up for this, like to meet me, and then literally six months after meeting me, I go bankrupt. So yeah, no, you didn't go. You didn't expect that. So I gave her the choice, and she decided to stay with me and work through all the turmoil. So Marcus, I mean, just get this straight. So first impressions really matter, right? So you met on Match.com, then you had this face-to-face. Things were okay. Things were going fine. Is that right? When you met? Oh, I, oh it was going. It was going phenomenal. Absolutely. Okay. So um, she was impressed, and then when the wheels fell off and the sky fell down, you needed to do a reassessment of her her commitment, right? A sound check, and uh, you, had, you had to turn around and say, you know, this is this is how it is. It wasn't really a reassessment of her commitment. I knew she was committed to me, MJ. It was more like I was offering her an out because I did not uphold my part of the bargain to be that that you know support system, that rock, that you know. Because again, she left her job as a teacher. She left uh, her family. She left her home that she had you know just moved into uh, that her uh, ex husband was paying the, the mortgage for. Uh, as part of their divorce decree. So she left a lot. So I was the one that literally did not hold up my end of the bargain. And I was giving her an opportunity to make a decision if she wanted to, to, to try to make this work or not, because I was the one that didn't uh, uphold my end of the bargain. Brother, it sounds like in between all the business talk, there was a lot of love involved. Absolutely it was. I mean, we loved each other from day one and you know we've had ups and downs like anybody else but the love has always been there since we met uh on match back in 2012 yeah and when you guys when when things were going well and you were did you go to public places like grocery store together things like that where people would know you guys know who you were absolutely we did we have grocery stores public things we were always together doing things together absolutely and and I just I have to ask you this because you know our our show is all about talking about people who've overcome incredible things, impossible things, which makes us 
you know, possible, uh, possibilities within it. When the bankruptcy thing happened, we're going to tell our audience a little bit more about that. But when it did happen and it settled in and you had this conversation with her, when you were out in public and you were going to the store again, how did you feel when people looked at you? Well, you know, the problem was after my bankruptcy, so many things I was used to doing, I couldn't do with ease. Like going to the grocery store and spend $100 on food. Well, when my, she called me that not one, but both of the credit card or well, the bank cards were declined and I had to call and readjust and make payments, uh, uh, make a quick payment on a credit card with the, with the money I didn't have just so she could get groceries. You know, that was embarrassing. Yeah. You know, going out to a restaurant and having our last meal together and putting on a credit card, knowing I couldn't pay the credit card off because I was going to file a bankruptcy. It was a, a meal I enjoyed, but it was just, it was embarrassing to me now because I knew I could never afford that meal. So a lot of things that I did at that time, MJ, were really embarrassing. And it really makes me feel to like today that, and I've learned my lesson all, all, all without a doubt, that, you know, a lot of things I were doing at that time were not really uh, the best things to do because I had no money and I was literally, you know, down to my, you know, to, to my last dime. Yes. And so many people out there, by the way, Marcus, uh, welcome to the club. So many people out there have been up the hill, down the hill, up again and down in. So for you to come out and share that with us, that's very powerful. And I, I honor and appreciate and respect you for sharing that. Moreover, I want to get back into, before we get uh, dive deeper into this, when you grew up, where did you grow up? Washington, D.C., my friend. Washington, D.C. So what was your playground? Did you go up and down the Washington Monument? What did you do? You know, honestly, I was more into, you know, spending time with my grandparents and friends. Uh, my grandparents lived over in D.C., uh, over in Northwest D.C., and then my friends who I kind of grew up with, they lived over in uh, a little town called White Oak, Maryland, which is probably about 20 minutes away from the University of Maryland College Park. So, I mean, of course, I went to the monuments and, you know, all the different types of things when I was growing up. I was, it was only like 30 minutes from my home, but I really spent a lot more time with like family and friends in different parts of DC, the Maryland area, more than kind of going like to the monuments and stuff like that. Because you, you see it, you see it one time because my father used to work only about five minutes from the White House, so you see all that stuff all the time. You don't have to go see it all. You don't have to go see it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think I was in London once, and I asked a London taxi driver. We just passed the London Bridge. I said. Uh, what, what's in there? How would I know? I've been driving taxis for 30 years. Why would I ever go in there? See if I want to see it. That's awesome. <laughs> so, That's awesome. So I get you. You grew up in our nation's capital. What What do you think? Uh, how did you first get interested in the sports? At what age? Uh, I started playing football at, uh, at 13 years old competitively uh, in high school. I was too big before that to play in Pop Warner or anything like that. So I was just playing it as uh, my, my first year playing competitive football. I was 13 years old when I was a freshman in high school. Give us a little hint here. You were when you were 12 years old. How big were you? Uh, 12. I was probably five eleven, around two fifteen. Uh, yeah, probably around two o five, two ten, somewhere around there. You were bigger than your teachers, without a doubt. Yes. At 12 years old. Yes. Okay, I got you. So you were kind of like the big man on campus. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, so my it's interesting. My my school I went to uh, when I was twelve, I was in middle school uh, at my so my high school St. John's had a middle school and high school. So there was like seventh, eighth grade. We had like one little sliver of the of the school's halls where all of our classes were. Like you know, it was crazy how we only had like two teachers, you know, per grade. Like it was very much focused, but we didn't really go for it. Uh, that's it's a very nurturing learning environment, actually. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And then, but again, being a big man on campus didn't really happen because there was everybody that was there already was in the school system, right? So it's like we had all the, you know, all the seniors and all the type of stuff going on. So really for me, I didn't really become the big man on campus until I was in uh, probably about a, ju- a, a junior in, uh, in high school. And when I did that, that's kind of when it became more you know, prevalent. Right. Is that where you noticed the cheerleaders, Marcus? <laughs> no, I noticed them long before that, but they sure didn't notice me until around that time. Okay. All right. And tell me, uh, what's what's a, the most famous play you remember in your mind? Is there a play that you remember or a game? Um, oh, yeah. I remember my, la- my last game, my senior year of high school, when we were playing um, uh, Gonzaga, and that was my send-off game. And I ended up having one of my best games, and I didn't have a scholarship offer, uh, you know, at that time. And then that, after my last game, I remember that Howard University came to my home about a month after that, and they offered me a full scholarship to play football. So having my last get best game was huge for me, and getting a scholarship to go to college. So for those people who are listening who don't really understand it, how long is because some of the people are overseas, so they're, they're thinking football like is the one that's flat, that's round, and you kick it on the ground, Pele. Uh, how long does an American football game last? Is it two 45-minute quarters? It's 60 minutes. That's it? 60 minutes? Yep. Six minutes. It's four, it's four 15-minute quarters. So you mean to tell me that going into this 60 minutes, here's what we want to share with people. Marcus is telling us that he did not have a scholarship. He didn't have a plan for college. He'd love to go. But there was no door open. And 60 minutes, 60 minutes changed his life. Is that what you're saying, Marcus? That's exactly what I'm saying. And it's interesting because that was the, that was the time when I was able to say, wow, if I can do this, if I can turn my life around and get a scholarship offer, you know, as a result of one game. Now, of course, it was more games, but that, that game must have stood out to Howard then I do have a chance of getting a great education and putting myself in the best position to succeed for my life. And that's exactly how I looked at it. That's exactly what I did. That's exactly how I took it, uh, you know, to get myself from you know, where I was to where I wanted to be in life. Yeah, and what, of course, I, I talked about that, that 60 minutes being a pivoting point. But what I did talk about was all the hard work and preparation that you had done for that. So that doesn't really matter. Oh, well, I mean, here's the thing, MJ. Everything I did in high school was really about setting the foundation to have the best chance to go to college. Uh, the thing I tell everybody is, is that I, if I could go back, I would have given my, I would have put in myself the work ethic I have today, which is so much different than it was back then because I've learned now that just because you have talent, it's not enough. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I mean, I was able to be a good football player, a great football player in high school, college, and play football in the National Football League. 
But if I would have had the work ethic today that I had, you know, uh, if I would have had the work ethic then that I have today, I think I would have gave myself a lot more options. Well, you know, we, we all can look back and say, this is what I could have done, should have done. But here's the incredible things that you did do. You then got drafted into the NFL. How did that feel? It was amazing uh, to have Jack Del Rio, uh, who was the head coach of the Jaguars, who was my uh, a friend of our family because I knew Jack since I was 17 years old when he was working as a linebacker coach for the Baltimore Ravens. That's where my brother was uh, in his uh, NFL career. To have Jack Del Rio uh, and all the other, a couple of the great people in the front office for the Jaguars who knew me, draft me and give me the opportunity to be an NFL player was absolutely an amazing feeling. And 1,200 and more days in the NFL, and then you get out and you go, and I can do anything. Yeah, well, you get your thing. I got out and I wasn't prepared to do anything. That was the problem. I didn't have a plan of action, MJ, on what to do next. And that's what, and I struggled for about six months. And then eventually I found my construction business uh, in 2008. And I started working towards that. And luckily I had some great coaches like Jack Del Rio, like Mike Malarkey uh, during my NFL career that taught me a lot about hard work taught me a lot about you know laying the foundation for what I wanted to do and as a result of that I was able to take those um, skill sets that they taught me and helped develop in me to my construction business which helped me become uh, a very successful business uh, in the first four and a half first four years of my of my business so when you when you got into your business, then give us a little idea. How long did you operate it for? For uh, for five and a half years total. I I was I, I gotten past my fifth year, and so I was almost at my sixth year when I went out of business. Okay, all right. And when did you know you were out of business? I knew I was out of business when the bank line turned us down uh, in January of 2013, and the developer and contractor denied my two and a half million dollar change order that I had worked so hard on, put together, gave to them, and they said they were going to deny the change order. And we were so close to getting an investor to come in and uh, and take over and give us some, um, you know, some capital from my old partner's stock. Uh, but he basically made a decision, a poor decision, MJ, to not be honest with where we were in the business. As a result of that, they found it out and they moved away from working with us. And as soon as those guys left the office and they called the next day, said that we were going to not pursue your company as a, an investor or a partner, that day I knew it was over. Right. And for whatever reasons, the universe gave you a new path. How did you decide your next step? So I, when I got down to Raleigh, I, I ended up working at Merrill Lynch. I, I got down to Raleigh. I had $400 to my name. I started the process of filing for the bankruptcy, everything else. And, and yeah, I was working at Merrill Lynch, uh, got fired after about two months, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know, it is what it is. And then uh, it was all my fault. I then ended up getting a job with a construction company the next day. 
Uh, I got fired from that job, <clears throat> you know, five days after being hired. And the only job I could get, MJ, was a custodian making $8.25 an hour. And that's what I did. I worked as a custodian. And then I had my pivotal moment when I realized that if I don't make a change today, the rest of my life will be just that. Always remembering my glory days, my past, you know, my past successes, and always get, always taking what life gives me, not going out for what I wanted. And that's why I made the change. And I said, I want to become a keynote speaker. I, I started that business in September 2013, didn't get one paid speaking job for two and a half years. And I finally got my first paid speaking job in April 2016, and I haven't looked back. Marcus, uh, an incredible story in such a short period of time to get to know you a little bit better, to have our audience get to know you. You really have overcome the impossible. I was right in your shoes when, when here was a, a man, a young man who grew up in our nation's capital, surrounded by all the history and all the inspiration in the world, um, having the opportunity to have gone through high school gotten picked out to get a scholarship, went on to get a draft into the, into the NFL, got out of the NFL, could have done anything, didn't really have a plan, got into business, lost that. And one, two, three jobs later, he's a custodian. Ladies and gentlemen, this is courage. This is how someone who had to move those tools, whether it was a mop or a room, thinking about how they had scored touchdowns, how they had been been celebrated, how there have been parades in their name, and suddenly now this is where they are. That come to life moment pushed him into where he needs to be and find his pure passion. Marcus, how can you how can you elevate or how can you inspire the listening audience on how they can find their inner passion and go know what this next step is for them? So I I'm gonna tell people this main thing. Identify Three things you are good at. Again, identify three things you are good at. When you identify what those three things are, from that point, you can start to build the foundation of whatever you want to do in life. That could be if you want to go be a restaurant owner, if you want to go be a lawyer, if you want to go have you know a business, if you want to go be a contractor. I don't I don't know what it is, and that's not that's not important. What's important is to build the foundation of your business off of the three things you do best. And once you do that, then start telling people in your inner circle what you want to do, because your inner circle is going to be like your your pot of gold, because what that's going to what's going to happen is they're going to start. They're going to support you without even seeing any results. As a result of that, they'll start to help get you down the right path to find opportunity to succeed in your chosen in your chosen profession. That's uh, amazing. Words of wisdom from Marcus Ogham on Mission Impossible on the MJ on the Air podcast. I'm very, very grateful to have had you here today, Marcus. I thank you for all of the uh, insights and wisdom that you've shared. And I'm gonna ask you live, we'd like to drill down deeper into some of the entrepreneurial goodies that you're sharing with companies all across America today on the next episode when we get it. Can we invite you back later this summer? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to come back. Okay. 
So God bless you. Thank you so much, Marcus. We really appreciated having you. It's been excellent. And thank you for everybody who's been on the show, listening on the show today. Thank you for joining The Real Mission. We welcome you to explore the next Real Mission on Possible with Coach MJ. Meet ordinary people who have achieved the extraordinary. Like, share, and comment to inspire others today. 